Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today, we're going to be talking to an entrepreneur who not only created the world's first tortilla toaster, but he was also doing cleanup of frack water, oil recovery, has a wealth of experience in the technology sector as well, lived through the boom and the bust of the dot-com era. Uh, it's going to be a wild ride, everybody. So strap in here as we welcome Seth Temko, founder of Full On Strategy, to the show. Welcome, Seth. Hi, Lance. Thanks for having me on. So you have a ton of experience. And from that experience, I think that you probably have a few things you'd like to share in terms of what you think every entrepreneur needs to know. Can you give me your top three? Sure. Um, <clears throat> starting our own business is... Uh the hardest thing and the easiest thing that you can do. It's both. Okay. Hardest, I believe. Easiest, I'm not so sure about. What do you mean by that? So it's the hardest thing you can do because it's a financial strain and stress and you feel the pressure, yeah. like all things fall on you. Like something's going wrong, look in the mirror, go blame that person. And uh, <laughs> you can do that every time. Um, the, the reason that it's the easiest thing you can do is because you, it, you have control or you should have control. Yeah. Certainly there are those who will influence you. And depending on if you're, uh, financed from outside parties, that may have more or less, uh, uh, influence on you, but you know, yeah. the politics are your politics. The mission is your mission. The execution is your execution. And therefore you have the control and that's the easiest thing about it. Yeah. 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 That is. And I think that's one of the things that's really attractive, right? To a lot of entrepreneurs is they, they like to have that control uh, of their destiny basically. And they they love the idea of building something uh, and, uh, and, and really uh, taking on the responsibility. But like you said, it's a double-edged sword. It's also, <laughs> I like your comment about looking into the mirror. You're the one that's, that's to blame yeah. for everything that's, not going right, but also that is going right too, I guess, the good and the bad. Yeah. So what's number two? Number two is everything takes longer than you hope, want, or expect, or plan. Especially. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I think there's uh, attitudes with people. Some people are, they're the planners and organized and, you know, maybe, maybe they're spreadsheet experts and they have their forecasts and everything laid out. Um Spreadsheets are easy. Execution is hard. Yeah. And once again, when you're looking in the mirror and you're blaming yourself, sometimes cut yourself some slack too. Yeah. And, and know that maybe you're a little um, uh, overambitious or, you, you know, you didn't estimate appropriately for all the things you couldn't account for. Yeah, man. You know, as as long as I've been doing this and, and before Ample Media, I owned a strategic consultancy. And so I'd go in and I'd help businesses, you know, with their strategy and, and plan out what, um, you know, the business plan needs to roll out and the action plans from that and everything else. And, uh, you know, I would see it time and time again in terms of on the execution side, just how much longer everything took. Right. So in an ideal world, I'm building these plans and and, you know, I build in a little buffer there, but it's never seems to be enough. And then um, the same thing in my business. And uh, I still get caught on that where it's just like, yeah, I I wildly underestimate how long things are going to take. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I think number three is uh, somewhat related to that, which is <clears throat> um, take the time to really track and think about the things that you enjoy, that lift you up, that inspire you, that get you going. Mm -hmm. 
And the things are detractors from that, that <clears throat> pull from your energy reserves and yep. then buy back your time. There's a, a great book about that. Um, look yeah. to make the investment to take the things that drain you, particularly if they have relatively little value to the business yeah. and, and outsource that uh, ha or, or, you know, move that over and get it away. And I think you'll see that your business will grow faster if you can stay focused on the things that you are good at, passionate about and have high business impact. I, I agree. I think that's really the secret to finding the joy in building a business, right? Because there's a reason why we get into the businesses that we get into, that we start. Um, and, and if you can really focus on those elements um, and, and focus on the why, right? And the things that you love to do, well, it's just going to be that much more enjoyable and you can handle then those crazy days, the, the down days, the ones that you, you know, you run into a massive frustration or setbacks, uh, mm -hmm. you can dust yourself off and get back up a lot quicker. I think when you can uh, know that you're going to be doing something that you're going to enjoy and you've successfully offloaded some of that. Uh, so speaking of that, what, what maybe are some detractors that you've successfully offloaded? I'm just curious. Well, I'm still trying to figure out how to shift the accounting stuff, but oh I, my God. Know, honest, yeah. honestly, just <laughs> keeping at it a little bit at a time, every time there's a payment or invoice, just sometimes just taking a photo on your phone and then, and then dragging those photos over, but that I'm working on right now. But, um, I think for me, the main thing I had to decide was, was I going to, uh, cause I've been at it for one year, um, with this particular consulting business. Was I going to be solo, you know, the former three-time CMO and all that kind of stuff? Uh, or was I going to do a team? And that was pretty easy for me to say, I'm going to have a team. So I have two team members. Um, and one of them is just Jason Demma. He's, he's just a wonderful creative director and has a lot of small agency experience. And then Michael Kowalski, who I've known for over 25 years, and he's worked with me before, and he has 25 years of B2B uh, content marketing experience and B2B communications. And, um, they decided to go on the wild ride with me. So it, it makes a lot of difference in the world. So there, there yeah. are different things that we have multiple clients, um, some small, some larger, and, uh, when they have immediate needs, then I have a team to go to. And if, if it had been me doing solo, I think I would have lost my mind a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's nice to be on the journey with others and then obviously being able to divide those tasks up. So um, speaking of your business, let's get into that a little bit. What sure. is it that uh, you're trying to solve over there? Yeah, we're, um, we help companies attain hypergrowth. Mm -hmm. And that's a simple summary. So hypergrowth is that up and to the right. It's that uh, exponential growth factor. Yeah. And uh, companies who are in market, they they tend to go through peaks and valleys of growth. And usually the delta or the difference between their forecast and their actual execution is go-to-market challenges. Okay. So we're go-to-market consultancy. We also help with product marketing. Um, that's what we do first and foremost. We can do some marketing augmentation to help with execution of lead generation or, or channel programs. Uh, there's different ways that you can create sales. There's direct and indirect means to do it. So we're strategy first. We typically engage with clients for 90 days, um, do research and discovery, 
both internally and third party externally market segmentation. Um, we determine uh, best revenue match. We typically look at business goals two years out and then we map backwards to say, what would it take for current programs to become more efficient or new programs to be created and ramp to achieve the business goals? Um, then the product marketing part is really taking the what parts of the market you want to focus on and then what's your differentiator? How do you position against other products? What are your key features and functions? What's your value proposition, persona development, et cetera, et cetera. All yep. the communications that then you carry into the organization, to your product groups, your marketing groups. And then we'll have complete marketing plans or sales strategy plans. And so they get playbooks at the end of the 90 days. And that's a question of clients execute, we execute, or a hybrid, and we help. And typically what happens is companies are um, very much maxed out. Most employees, most companies are running lean nowadays. Yeah. Employees are very maxed out. And the idea of these new programs or initiatives, uh, we, we, we'll get to it when we can. And usually when management or founders are very excited about making a new strategy, it's speed to value. And so they want to execute more quickly. And we fill the gaps where we can or we'll bring in other partners. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'd imagine when you, you know, mention the words hyper growth, we help businesses with hyper growth. Yeah. Everybody must just kind of lean forward and go, mm, tell me more, <laughs> right? Like yeah. that's a yeah. pretty attractive thing to be saying that you're going to be helping clients with. So yeah. you started this business um, and you've got a, a, a deep history in entrepreneurship and startups and everything else. Um, but I'm just curious if we can pull back the curtain slightly and uh, just learn a little bit as to what your go-to-market strategy was so that uh, you can be scaling and growing rapidly um, and doing the things that you're helping other businesses do. So how did you apply the principles um, that you help others with in your business? Excellent. So how do I eat the dog food is how I would put that. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. To put it not delicately. Um, first, just to know, uh, it's a year in the business and uh, I got into doing uh, this consultancy because of corporate layoffs. So I was the CMO of a public company and there was layoffs and I got laid off. And uh, this has happened before to me in my career. I've been a CMO multiple times. Um, but this time was different. I was very prayerful about it and introspective. And I, I felt like I need a break from corporate jobs. Um, and when you look at <clears throat> new businesses that you can do, services companies are the fastest you can execute in the market. I mean, literally, you have an area of expertise. You talk to someone, they say, can you help me? You say, sure. Can you pay me this? They go, yes. You have now started a services business, right? Like yeah. mass execution. Software, I would say, is the next level of complexity. You know, now you actually, someone has a need. You say, if I build this, will you pay for it? They say, yes. Now you have to do the ones and zeros. They're just ones and zeros. They're just all yeah. in the right place. And then manufactured products, and I have experience with all of it, is is the most elaborate, I would say, because you have engineering phases. You may have um, software embedded in it, and then you have to go find manufacturing, and you go through a whole pilot and tests and all sorts of things you need to do so you can do scale. So uh, for me, uh, with services, it's kind of this more simple model. I started with my own network. And hmm. because I have almost 30 years of 
experience. I know a lot of people and um, I really try to have the discipline of um, serving others and treating people well and getting to know people at all levels in an organization, not just executive and trying to stay in contact, even if it's casually, even if it's text messages on holidays or reaching out to someone and saying, I saw you got a promotion, congratulations on the new job and catching up with people. And um, I've done consulting on the side. Yeah. For a long time, half of it pro bono just to help people. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things that's important to note is that people uh, will not automatically choose to work with you or buy your software or buy your products because they know and like you, but they will prefer to do so. And so they'll, they'll put you in the mixer running. So starting there, I had to define what are we? Are we a marketing agency? It's like, no, we're going to be a consultancy. We're going to focus on a, a more niche area where there's fewer competitors, right? So I, and then I chose hospitality technology to start out and we have a couple of clients outside of it, but it's, it's a majority of my network and career in that. So um, that was the choice of market. And then who, who do we uh, go to connect with mostly our hospitality technology companies, once again, because of network and experience and the ability to rapidly generate value and uh, a and, lot of focus. And market and market size as well, right? Like, like we're yeah. talking massive potential market size too. Yeah. So uh, the restaurant industry vertical in the U.S. is a trillion dollars. Yeah. Um, Pre-COVID, there were a million restaurants in the U.S. You know, it went down. It's going back up. So it's probably nine hundred something thousand. That's a lot. It's a very fractured market. No clear, distinctive leaders or winners. Um, I also have worked with hotels, casinos, resorts, which is $300 billion, contract food service, probably another 50 billion or so. So that's a very large market. I would estimate there's between 1,500 and 3,000 restaurant tech companies just selling in the U.S. And there's many more outside of the U.S. And I actually work with a couple of them to help them figure out the U.S. market and come into the U.S. market. Yeah. Yeah. So massive market. You obviously have done your planning. You found the right fit uh, and you're working hard at growing the business now. Um, and, and, as, and, and sorry to interrupt, but the second sure. channel. So the so the direct sales through net direct relationships is channel number one. And then channel number two is creating partnerships. So I have a really oh. great partnership with a, a company in the industry called Branded Strategic. And then I have another great relationship with a um call it a a group of highly talented and skilled consultants through results through strategy. Yeah. And And, and you work out uh, a way, you know, how you fit, how you don't compete, um, uh, uh, leads and referrals, and then of course, commissioning or incentives for that. And were those partnerships um, basically uh, preempted by a previous relationship that you had with those people, or is that something that you developed with some of them as you started your business? So results through strategy, I had known people in the organization and Fred LaFranc, who's the leader of it and branded strategic. Um, I didn't really know them all that well. There's, uh, uh, Jimmy Frischling and, uh, and Shotzi, uh, they're the two founders of it. They, they're more of a VC 
they do VC and restaurant tech companies. They also do event mm -hmm. management, um, planning, promotion, podcasts, and that. It's gotten pretty big. Uh, they're very good promoters. Very uh, both both of the partners have very high ethics and really care to serve the industry well, which is uh, important. And um, the results through strategy led to a connection with branded strategic. And now I'm actually bringing the two, two of them together. I'm the glue that binds. That's and I got together with them and said, you know what, there's a need for go to market, um, you know, with restaurant tech companies, they're both working with them. They said, you're absolutely right. And so we, we worked on it that way. Yeah. 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 I can see it's a perfect match, right? With what mm -hmm. you're doing to what they're doing. So yeah, it's really good. Now in terms of 2024, you've got growth mm -hmm. plans. I can guarantee that that's the case knowing just a little bit about who you are and how you operate. So those 2024 growth plans, what is going to be the key uh, in your opinion for you to achieve those? What are you going to be working on? What's the biggest, you know, hurdle to that or <clears throat> yeah, so I, I through my own network and through partnerships, I spoke to 40 different companies this year. Okay. So over half my time is involved with selling in some way, shape, or form. And uh, we'll continue to do that and drive pipeline and get more effective pipeline. So part of it, too, when you work with new partners is um, you have to define the relationship, Um joint value propositions. Uh, I, I did formalize strategic alliance partnering at Yext when I was an executive there, um, go-to-market efforts, and and then figuring out process. And then everybody has to get comfortable with each other. And then I'll tell you, though, that once you get the first deal, then everybody's encouraged and then everything ramps up. So I, I would just suggest to people that in the beginning, if you have a new partnership, make sure that there's a very generous uh, revenue opportunity for the client, particularly, uh, I, I'm sorry, for the partner, particularly yeah. in the beginning, so that they have this inducement to say, okay, wow, that can work. We can both deliver joint value. There's a economic incentive to do that. And then you'll see more popularity, you know, with, with you versus other partners or um, you get some sort of preference with that. That could be really helpful. So we'll definitely do more of that for um, for next year and work the pipeline. Uh, for me, it's also bringing in some additional resource as we scale up so we can serve more people and still keep a high standard of quality of service. As far as um, outreach and marketing strategies, so uh, this year was really focused on domain expertise and knowledge expert content. So I mm. produce a weekly column in hospitality headline. And also a, we've done a, a whole bunch of white papers in that, that we do on gated and free and promote, make available um, to people. Next year, it's going to be more about building community. So one mm. of the things that I'm going to do is a pilot mastermind program for restaurant tech executives and founders, and we'll get together on a regular basis um, share, get to know each other. Uh, I'm not going to charge for it. Some masterminds do, but this idea of building a small community um, yeah. that can connect and know each other. And then um, from that pilot, we'll make some changes and improvements. When we find higher value, either we'll, we'll grow the mastermind a bit and then we'll do other masterminds. And um, 
allow everybody to, to get together and share. It, it's always great at industry events. Everyone gets together and I see them socialize and get together. And then there's sort of this long pause until the next industry event, which may be yeah. months later. Yeah. And um, to let people to get to know each other and then dive into business is really both personally fulfilling for people and professionally fulfilling for people. So I, I definitely am going to do that. And then I'm working with um, some of the partners that I mentioned and another company to actually create a restaurant technology focused event, probably a summit. We're going to do a pilot in a couple of weeks virtually uh, because there's all these restaurant industry events where the restaurant tech companies are the sponsors, but they're not the attendees. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's enough companies and enough mass that we want to change that. Yeah. And that will be a great opportunity to connect, deliver value, uh, get to know people. And I think business will flow from it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that a lot of the things that you're doing are very similar to the things that we're doing. We just completed a symposium, a three uh, morning symposium where we had 12 incredible speakers come in and talk about entrepreneurship, right? And growing your mm -hmm. business and making 2024 the best year yet. And, and, uh, and so that idea there is the whole community building aspect. Now I'm in year 12 of my business. I'm definitely uh, tracking a lot. It took me a lot longer <laughs> to get there than what it's getting. Yeah. You're getting there. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I find a lot of value in that building community. And I love what you're talking about too, in terms of the master class or mastermind that you're going to be doing and bringing people together and creating a, a peer to peer you know, support um, in addition to learning, right? And networking yeah. and everything else is going to happen from that. Um, I had a, a beer with a, a consultant or, or a coach actually yesterday, and um, he was talking about in his coaching business, the average, you know, lifetime of a client in the coaching world is usually around nine months. Their average is four and a half years or close wow. to it. Yeah. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, that's amazing. And he said, uh, yeah. And I think most of it has to do with building that community and the peer support, because what we focus on is definitely doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching with people, but we facilitate these group sessions. And so as a client, you get to participate in that. And now you're in a community and it's really tough to step away from the community uh, especially in the business world, you know, oftentimes as founders and so on, we are uh, fairly lonely, you know, it's lonely at the top. It's a lonely uh, thing where a lot of other people in the organization, you either can't really talk to them about some of the struggles because you also have to be this positive face amongst your team mm -hmm. um, or you, you know, don't, um, yeah, you, they just can't relate to the challenges that you're going through as a founder or as the as the CEO. And so, yeah, it's, it was really interesting. And so he was attributing it directly to that. So I think I think what you're talking about doing for 2024 is bang on on so many different levels. Yeah, for me, it was it's pretty natural extension. So I have 40 different meetings and uh in a lot of times multiple sessions and i get to know the founders or the executives a bit and i'm taking notes about it and then they'll talk about a problem or a need and i'll say i think you should talk to this other company i think you'd have a good partnership yeah. together and i'll do the introductions and yeah. i also say and by the way they have some of the same interests you will have a great conversation with this person 
Yeah. And then I just started saying, but I want to be part of that conversation. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I want to hear them get, to get together and talk about it and participate. And that was yeah. really me saying, well, then I should just do it. I should just bring people to, together to do it. So I've yeah. had conversations with a number of people and they're like, yeah, count me in and, and do it. So we're, we're going to run that um, at the end of January and get that going. And, so and I, I think communities are like this uh, marketing, this, uh, so some people call it dark social, right? Which sounds menacing, but it does, it's, yeah. it's things that you can't apply uh, full attribution values. So like, especially SaaS companies, software companies are like, we want to know how much we spend. And then we want to do top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel and sales accepted SQL and all that. And I've managed many millions of dollars budgets to do that. The harder thing to do that requires more patience is to create communities, but communities can be monetized. And I, and I don't say that in like a nefarious, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. kind of way to, to say that, building those relationships and really knowing those people, like you are first and top of mind when they have a need that, yeah. that once again, to the theme, like they know and they like you, but they really know you and really have relationship. And they have this deep trust that you're not going to do something wrong, that you're really going to work with them to make them heroes and successful in their hero's journey. And yeah. uh, to me, that's, that's like one of the main reasons you should be doing this. Like otherwise, like go work on Wall Street and bleed cash out of, you know, nameless, faceless companies. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so in in so with regard to your mastermind that you're gonna be creating here, um, I'd imagine mm -hmm. you're working with people right across the country, right? So mm -hmm. is this gonna be a virtual one or an in-person yeah. one? What's yeah, well, we'll, we'll definitely have to do virtual to yeah. uh, accommodate. Um, it, for me, it's more important to have uh, groups of individuals that really have high levels of high quality engagement with each other than try to get proximity. Um, and I'm also, I'm located in the Nashville area. Originally I'm from Chicago and then we, we relocated, but um, it, it would be more difficult to get together groups, particularly when it's vertical um, groups. So we're talking about restaurant tech companies and executives with it. So you need to, to draw from it. The cool yeah. thing about doing that too, is I can make it an extension of a sales engagement. So Maybe they don't need my services now, but I'm like, these are good people and have really good product. Come and join this community and uh, you can participate in it. And a, a number of the companies I'm talking to are outside of the US. Mm -hmm. So I have a client based in London. I have a client based in Israel. I have a client based in Saudi Arabia. I'm going to take on a client in Taiwan. Um, granted, there's some time zone challenges with that, but yeah to give those individuals the opportunity to interact with US-based companies and they're trying to understand the market, high high value, high business impact. And I think that they, they can also help as well. Like they have an international and global perspective that they can bring to the group, which I think is amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think exactly that. Like it's it's about the diversity that you get around that table. Uh, that's going to be the value that's there, right? In terms of the way that other people think about the problems that they're all likely to be encountering as entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs in a particular uh, area of uh, of the industry, right? So yeah, it's really- and, and the other fun thing is the people have already accepted in advance, like some of them are in their 50s and you know, there are yeah. the older guys like me with lots of experience and some of them are in their late twenties and man, are they innovative? Yeah. Like yeah. they, they think in ways that, that I don't, maybe I think third or four, like very forward thinking about stuff. Um, sometimes I would say naively and sometimes like amazing, like smart and innovative. Yeah. And I'm like, this will be once again, like this diversity of group with experience and age and bringing them together. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of people think naive, they associate that with, uh, you know, negativity, like there's a negative connotation to that. But um, I tell you, especially young new entrepreneurs, um, a lot of times you wouldn't get into the business if it wasn't for you being naive about certain things. And yeah. so it's actually uh, the thing that, that really will propel people forward and they'll find workarounds as soon as they hit some walls that as they start to get a little bit of experience and that's where that creativity and the innovation comes in. You know, if you weren't naive, boy, it, it, sometimes it's a, uh, it's a non-starter right off the hop. So, yeah. yeah. Um, a question for you, um, because I know we're running out of time and I, I, you yeah. have a background though in, uh, you know, basically living through that dot-com uh, bubble, the, the, uh, the, yeah. the, the boom and then the bust that followed very shortly afterwards. What kind of lessons did you learn from living through that experience? Because I think our audience might be really intrigued by some of that. Yeah, I, I would say that the, the biggest lesson there is uh, value delivery to end customers is key. Yeah, Period. value. I, yeah. I, I don't care what your business model is and is your services or software, tangible products, consumer, business, business. Like if you cannot figure out a value equation that leads to people taking their tiny little T-Rex arms and reaching down in their wallets to pay you, um, you will struggle with your business the whole time that you're building it. And yeah. that's number one. And what I would say is like uh, the dot-com era was all about fast flash money, bang and spend. Um, build customer base as quickly as possible, regardless of revenue model and business model. Yep. Dump the company on the public markets, the founders, early employees, and the VCs cash out. Who cares about the rest? Yep. It, there, was, there was really nothing about that era that I would say was um, value delivery focused. And it was all about making money because it was literally a bubble and everyone was like, we're going to make as much money as quickly as we can. Um, well, and, almost like a posi scheme in a lot of regard well, too, right? I mean, there were some, some outgrowths that, that had value that had, but I think a web van brought in a billion dollars and it was, you know, uh, I'll put it this way. There was a whole lot of correct thinking, but the businesses were way too early. Yeah. The technology wasn't ready. The cost to deploy the technology was way too high. Um, there wasn't the a stable, strong enough and ubiquitous enough internet and businesses or households uh, to support what you wanted to do. 
Um, it was still client-server-based technologies. You really didn't have this idea of cloud-based technologies, which really solidified the SaaS model. There were some early companies were exploring SaaS. I mean, we there was this thing called ASP, Application Service Provider, but they were your own servers or there were hardware and rack. Like you could name the location of where your compute was. And nowadays, yeah. I don't know, compute somewhere, like it works, like, right? But you can't name where it's at. All of those things needed to change to, um, to make sense for a lot of those models. So I was at a startup, uh, 43 billion of VC investment, really high profile uh, VC in San Francisco, really young executives, all late twenties. I mean, talk about naive, give them $43 million and say, grow to 10,000 customers as quickly as you can. So you create these really upside down, inefficient lead generation customer acquisition models. All of a sudden the public market exit starts bursting. You're running out of cash because you have a high, hey, money's cheap and easy to get. Burn, 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 right? Yep. Then you go hat in hand as you're running out of money and you go to the um, portfolio manager at this high end VC who's been telling you more customers faster, more customers faster. And they go, you sons of bitches, how could you waste all my money? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And you want to say, because you told me so, and you can't. <laughs> you just take all the lumps, do what you can for the employees in the business, and then you carry on. And yeah. I, but that was a big lesson for me. Like, um, I am far less enthusiastic about ideas, much more enthusiastic about good product and customers who are willing to pay for it, even if it's smaller scale, even if yep. it's earlier days. Because yeah. when you have that, you have something foundationally that you can grow. And if you don't have that, you have an awful lot to figure out. Yeah, yeah, so true. Well, thanks for sharing that, because I think there's a lot of people that are probably looking at the AI, um, you know, bubble right now. I don't know if we want to call it a bubble sure. yet, but there's such a rush, right? And uh, there's so many investors that... Um, were clamoring over anything that had the dot AI uh, behind it. And, uh, you know, definitely liquidity has dried up a little bit. And I think that's probably uh, dampened, I suppose, the the rush that was happening or could have been happening. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm really curious to see what the outcome is going to be and if we're going to have a repeat of that dot com bubble, but it'll be a dot AI bubble. Oh, it's, it's, it's happening. It's already happening. So in the restaurant yeah. tech vertical, I have a client called, uh, named Voiceify and they have phenomenal technology. And I've, I've known these guys since I, years ago, uh, their voice AI for ordering reservations, answering, uh, phone questions, you know, our, are you open? What are your hours? Like they can yeah. automate all of that. You implement in a, in a, a restaurant and you get, you're answering 300 percent more calls. How is that? Oh, you weren't answering all the calls before, like works really well, but their competitors and peers, which are bigger and raise a lot of money. One of them public just revealed in their SEC filings because they're required to 70% of their AI interactions are facilitated by humans overseas. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this has become a common theme. You know, so when I was engaged with them and we were looking at solutions I could do, I said, steer clear drive through ordering there. If you want to hit a glacier, that's where you go, because it's one of the mm -hmm. harder, harder things to do because of environmental things you can't control. You know, 
baby crying in the background, music blaring, jet flies overhead. Yeah. Um, so focus and phone first and then move to drive through. But the challenge with it is I believe that um, poor technologies brought to market with lots of money pollute the waters of the promise and value of the technology and make it hard for those companies that have good and solid technology to actually you know, yep. bring it forward in the market. Yeah, and attract well attract the investment, and then also really attract the market who is you know in need of it, but they've been burnt uh, by the poor technology and poor delivery of the other low yeah. value products, right? Yeah, claims are easy, delivery is hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great quote, and I think uh, I think it's a great quote to end this uh, interview on. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time today, Seth, to share some of your experience. Your um, wealth of knowledge in the area that, uh, uh, you know, go to market and, and growth and so on. I think the team, or sorry, the audience are going to get a lot out of listening to you. If one, one of them wanted to connect with you, um, how would, how would they do that? Where, where should we send them? Uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn at Seth Temko, or you can go to fullonstrategy.com. Awesome. Well, thank you. thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time today, Seth. And for those of you who are listening today and really enjoyed this episode, you can head over to amplifyyourbusiness.ca to find all of the archives of all of our other interviews with entrepreneurs. And of course, uh, if you're watching this and you prefer to listen to the audio version, just search us up on your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, search Amplify Your Business there. Until next time, everybody have a prosperous day. Bye.